Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This week on the Mike Wise Show, our guest has been a trailblazer in so many areas that we could spend the whole show just reading her resume. She's standing by, so let's get to it. Darlene, do your thing. The Mike Wise Show is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. The Mike Wise Show is hosted by a guy who played basketball atrociously for Hawaii Pacific College, which forced him into journalism. And, oh yeah, he wrote about basketball for the New York Times, the Washington Post, and ESPN. He's also a wise-ass, and so are many of his guests. Right, Mike? Thank you, Darlene. Ann Myers-Drysdale is one of the most legendary athletes of all time. Her lists of firsts include... Well, shoot, first player to be part of the U.S. national team while in high school, first woman to sign a contract with an NBA team, first female athlete in NCAA history to receive a four-year athletic scholarship, and the first Division I player, male or female, to record a quadruple double, the first four-time All-American in women's basketball, the first female inductee into the UCLA Athletics Hall of Fame, and one of the first four UCLA players to have their number retired, along with Denise Carey and two guys you may have heard of, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Bill Walton. As a golfer, Annie was the first woman to compete in the Celebrity Golf Association Championship. That's just a partial list. Annie was inducted into the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame in 1993, one of six Hall of Fames she has been inducted into. And she serves in an an, as an analyst for the Phoenix Suns broadcast and as a vice president for the Phoenix Mercury and Suns. Annie has also been involved with the Special Olympics for more than 30 years, which probably one of her most gratifying accomplishments. And I wasn't kidding, uh, Ann Myers-Drysdale, when I said your resume could take up an entire show. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Mike. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for interviewing. Yeah, no problem. Uh, it, it's, it's great. I always... I'm a little older, um, and I, I often um, I feel like the cranky old guy that's telling all the millennials about all these great players of their time, and you were one of them. I mean, you you know when I was growing up uh, and watching uh, what you know these were some of the first games I saw on television was was a view at UCLA and Cheryl Miller and the McGee twins at, at USC. Those were those were neat moments for me. And, um, and shoot, I, you know, anyway, at any rate, uh, uh, beyond the fact that I'm going to grill you on your life today, I'm a big fan. I just want to tell you that off the bat. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, it's hard to even know where to begin, but I know you were one of 11 children. I think you were number six, right in the middle. Uh, did, did your will to compete start in the backyard? Well, it absolutely started in the house. There's no question or about the playground, that. the dinner table. Yeah. My, uh, my dad played basketball at Marquette. And my mom was in nursing school there. That's where they met. And then they moved out to San Diego when they got married. And he continued playing basketball, uh, AAU basketball. But um, certainly uh, having five older siblings and five younger siblings, uh, we were always competing, whether it was sports, uh, kick the can or Monopoly or uh, board games or card games. Uh, we were all very competitive. But uh, my sister Patty was the oldest of the 11. And uh for me, Patty was such a great role model. She was eight years older than I was. 
But I saw her and all these women playing sports, softball, volleyball, basketball. And uh, we had we had parents that were supportive of their daughters playing sports as much as their sons. And back in the 50s, 60s and 70s, that really wasn't you know heard of that much. Yeah. But uh, certainly having parents that were supportive and encouraging for their all their children to compete in sports uh, was was big. When I um, uh, got a, I finished my uh, schooling at Fresno State, I got a job in the sports information department and I was the, I was the aquatics um, SID. So I basically did swimming, water polo. And one of the people I became really friendly with and she went on to a great career, kind of remind me a little bit, um, Terry McKeever. Are you familiar with her? I know Terry, yeah. Yeah, so Terry Escondido girl. And she um, she brought me home one week and I met her entire family. They're all athletic. And um, and of course, she's uh, one of her dads was one of the famous McKeever twins. Um, I uh, I thought of when I when I heard your story, I was like, she reminds me of and I think they must know each other. <laughs> We've met along the way, you know, and yeah. certainly, you know, I, like I said, there were, you know, I was fortunate enough to come along when Title IX was passed. And uh, I've been fortunate enough to be a, a product of that. Title IX, which opened up so many doors for me. But in saying that, I knew things were capable because I saw all these women uh, that my sister was competing against. And mm. there were women playing sports a long time before I came along. <laughs> and uh, reading a book on Bay Diedrichson Zaharias when I was in fourth grade certainly opened up my eyes and gave me a dream to be an Olympian uh, because of the kind of athlete she was and, and what she had accomplished. Yeah, and I remember your late brother David was also a star player at UCLA. You both won national ch titles in basketball, uh, David in 73 and 75, and I think you were in 78. Did you guys used to play one-on-one -on -one as kids? We played a lot of different sports together, and uh, so I was in between David, who's two years older than I was, and my brother Jeff, who's two years younger. So David was always yeah. pitting us against each other, but, you know, we'd ride our bikes or, or uh, walk up to the playground. We never had a basket at our house, so we were always at the elementary school and so forth. So we'd take our basketball or our bats and balls, and and uh, or we'd play 500 in the, in the street right in front of the house or take a tennis racket and hit a tennis ball up against a wall somewhere. But uh, we were always at the park and, and playing in pickup games. But, you know, one-on-one, -on -one, David always beat me if we did play, but... <laughs> I always tried to be on his team. Uh, I didn't want to, I didn't like sitting out on a team that I lost because I had to be next, but that next could have be, been three or four games down, you know, uh, yeah. before we got back in again. So I was hoping to play on a, a winning team, which was usually David's teams. He was, I think, two years older and he grew to six, eight. I, he was great, a very good player with the box. I remember him. Well, he was an All-American. I mean, he was, yeah. uh, David Thompson went ahead of him in the 75 draft, but David was the number one draft pick with the Lakers. And uh, and five years later, you know, when he um, retired from from playing with the Bucs, uh, the Lakers came calling again. They wanted him to come play. And uh, But he had made his choice, and uh, he ended up becoming an elementary school teacher and, and made a big difference in a lot of children's lives. And mm. uh, certainly... Uh, when we lost him five years ago of cancer, uh, you know, it was really hard on the family. Were you, were you very close to him? Well, we all were. I mean, all yeah. of us, you know, we either like each other or don't like each other, you know, it's just, uh, <laughs> your family gatherings with the holidays and birthdays and uh, certainly a lot of celebrations with families together. Yeah. He, your father must've been really proud when he sort of was drafted by the Bucks because he played at Marquette, which is. Um, yeah. It was, 
uh, when David was drafted by the Lakers, he was in that trade with the four guys with Junior Bridgman, Brian Winters, and uh, Elmore Smith, and, and David that went to Milwaukee that brought Lou Cinder, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar back to Los Angeles. And uh, so, yeah, we still had a lot of family in Milwaukee. My mom is from a large family of eight. My dad was an only child, but uh, certainly we had a lot of relatives back there. So it was exciting for him to be back in Milwaukee. Our uh, producer, Bruce Bernstein, who you know is good friends with Nancy Lieberman, one of your contemporaries, she told Bruce that when she was a kid taking the subway from Far Rockaway, Queens to Rucker Park in Harlem, her mom used to be very concerned about safety. And Nancy told her, don't worry, Ma, I won't hurt any of the other players. <laughs> Is that how you approach playing against guys? <laughs> um, no, I don't know. Nancy and I have certainly two different personalities in, in how we grew up. Uh, yeah. as being in the middle of 11 children and uh, Nancy has an older brother but uh, and certainly growing up in in the kind of atmosphere she did uh, she was really out there I mean she was a go-getter and not to say that I was a go-getter I was pretty shy I was pretty introverted um, just mm. followed on the coattails of uh, my brothers and, and my sister and certainly I, I played seven sports in high school and uh, and actually when I was growing up the one sport that was available to us was uh, in an organized situation was uh, track and field and swimming. And I was not a, a good swimmer. My older sister, Kathy, swam and she was terrific. And but I, I just reading this book on Babe Diedrichs and Zaharias and being in track and field. And I was a high jumper and a, a pentathlon. They didn't have the heptathlon yet. So I loved track and field, and I thought that that was my dream was going to be the Olympics. And then as I got older and watching my sister Patty open up doors in volleyball and basketball and uh, softball, seeing that I could play all these other sports, uh, basketball obviously, uh, you know, started to grow and uh, came along at the right time where they had the 76 Olympics. And uh, Patty went to Cal State Fullerton and mm -hmm. won a championship under Billy Moore. Mm. And they won the national championship in 1970. So Billy Moore was our Olympic coach in 76. And then Billy Moore, I had three different coaches at UCLA and Billy Moore was my senior uh, coach when we won the championship. So a lot of these tie-ins and so forth, but uh, certainly knowing that uh, I could go compete, but I was, yes, I was uh, not a quitter. Um, you know, I was pretty intense. Yeah. Uh, but when I got home. I just, you know, don't, I didn't talk to a lot of people. I was pretty shy and, introverted and a lot of people didn't thought that I was uh, kind of had my head up in the air because I didn't talk to them but I, I couldn't look people in the eye what what do you think that was about you, you have a little social anxiety or I don't they probably they don't diagnose those things back then but <laughs> but, but you, I wonder in, in hindsight what they would have called it you know yeah I you know I, I was in the middle of 11 children I was a middle child and yeah. you know you get lost in the shuffle and you talk about my dad and and uh, he was proud of all of us but I think all of us were you know vying for attention too. how good could we be and sports happened to be our outlet which was great because uh, that many kids in the house was, I'm sure my mom was probably pulling her hair out. But, uh, you know, they taught us uh, discipline and hard work. Uh, certainly my mom, you know, what she did around the house, whether it was laundry or uh, cooking all day long and doing dishes and making lunches and dusting and just, I mean, having the house clean and so forth. And my dad going off to work, he worked for Sears for over 30 years. But, um, you know, we, we learned what it meant to work. And uh, I think yeah. we took that into our athletics. Women don't have eleven children anymore. That's uh, that, that's just. Uh, I mean, she was she was preg she was pregnant most of your childhood, or at I least the Catholic, first. Good Irish Catholic. Woman. I get okay, yeah, yeah. 
Um, contraception wasn't big in our family either. That, unfortunately, no. Uh, but um, we have three. We have, I have three kids, and I'm thinking, Elliot's my my son. He's like six. I, I can't even imagine what it's like to be the middle of 11. I mean, talk about lost in the shuffle. Now I, now I get it. I'm, I'm putting it all together a little bit. Um, <laughs> you, you have three kids, obviously, through um, your uh, marriage to your late husband, Don Drysdale. Did, um, pardon my ignorance, did any of your kids turn out to be super athletes? They all were. Yeah, I think they're superhuman yeah. beings. I think that that's the only thing that uh, I really yeah. value most is, is how kind they are to others and, and giving back. Uh, DJ Don Jr. was born on Don's birthday, which was not planned. And, oh, wow. Uh, but um, and he'd always he's he and Don had a daughter from his first marriage. But um, certainly with DJ right. coming along, uh, it was hard not to name him Don Jr. being born on Don's birthday. And Don was working for the Chicago White Sox at the time with uh, Jerry Weinsdorf and Eddie Einhorn. But um, yeah, DJ was born in Chicago. And uh, was, um, and then Darren came along. And then our daughter, Drew. And uh, so we, uh, they obviously, yeah. they sports at a very early age and and whether you like sports or not sports is such a great teaching tool uh about teamwork and how to get along with people of leadership how to win how to lose what mm. kind of attitude you have um you know certainly your discipline and your dedication your sacrifice that you have to do for others and then you take that whether into your schoolwork or your business or your relationship with your parents or your your siblings or or uh, girlfriends and boyfriends and so forth uh, your bosses, uh, you've got to take those lessons that you learn. And Coach wouldn't always say sports, you know, it doesn't build character. It reveals character. And uh, go mm. play golf with somebody. Uh, you, really, you really learn how somebody is when they, you go play golf with somebody. You know, it's funny. Uh, that reminds me of when I went to, um, when I was at the New York Times and uh, Bill ba Bradley was coming out with his book, The Values of the Game. Yeah. And I, I had to ask him when we met for, I shouldn't admit, I should admit this. I think it was one of the few lunches I, I was late for because I, I got the wrong French restaurant. And <laughs> and I remember reading in a thing, anyway, Red Holtzman, his former coach for the Knicks wrote always, he had this antidote in the back um, book where it didn't matter whether you, what you were late for, you owed them $10 for being late. And so when I showed up at the restaurant, I go, I, I'm not going to even say I owe you $10 no matter what. And he laughed. But but I had to ask him because he had this he had this great piece. You'll, and you'll identify with this in the golf anecdote. He said, you could learn more from playing three on three with someone in a half hour, what what their character's about, whether they give themselves to the good of the group, all the selfish, all the things about them, than you could sitting next to them in a cubicle in an office for a year. And I, I tend to believe that it really, Absolutely. you know, because right, right away, you're forced to, you're in a, you're in an ultimate teamwork situation, whether you're playing pickup or not. And, yeah. um, and you gotta, you know, you have to be about more than yourself. Well, and one of the things, uh, Coach Wooden, again, David going through those, you know, I used to go watch practices yeah. when David was there my freshman year, his senior year, but watching those practices, but uh, Papa, Coach Wooden, which I call him Papa, uh, had three rules. He said, don't be critical of your teammates. Be on time because your time is valuable. They're, everybody's time is valuable. And, and don't be critical of your teammates or your others because you make mistakes too. Everybody makes mistakes. And then the other one was mm. your language, no cursing. And he felt when you cursed, you lost control of your emotions and you made poor decisions. Uh, 
And uh, but if you take those three antidotes and take them outside of sports, it's exactly how you should live your life. Don't be critical of others. Be more concerned about yourself and what you're doing. Hey, uh, I when we when we hear about all the stories about UCLA and um, the Wizard of Westwood and all those things, and it almost seems idyllic. And um, and and I'm sure there were there were uh, unseemly things going on, like there are at any campus. But but I, boy, it must have been it must have been some of the special memories of your life. He was he seemed like the real deal in so many ways. Well, he was, and even after he lost his uh, you know his wife Nellie. I mean, he didn't want to live anymore. And uh, he ended up living, what, another 35 years, lived to 99. And he's still yeah. as sharp as he could be. I mean, he really was sharp. And uh, but certainly watching those practices, right end, I was fortunate yeah. enough my freshman year, Mike, that um, uh, my freshman year, Kenny Washington, who had played for coach uh, in those early championship years in 64, yeah. 65. So, so Wash, all the fundamentals, all those drills we did, Papa, was doing with the guys we were doing it with the women and so wash my freshman year really helped me a lot understanding the fundamentals because i was a little bit of a hothead uh you know i was very emotional and wanted mm. i was tough i was this you're gonna do it my way and and he would he would just grind me down and uh said no this is the proper way to do it the right way and uh and then uh my sophomore and junior year i had ellen Mosier, who was my coach and i had played with her in aau ball and then billy moore ended up being uh the senior my senior year when we won the championship mm. the um uh, coach wooden as you said uh nally died long before he i was thinking about your you, you were only married to don for gosh as uh what was it? Seven years before he passed. Right. That, that was just. Uh, I mean, that even today. I mean, all these. You know, some thirty years later, it must be a shock. Like that. that I still miss you didn't him get more day. time. I, I miss him every day, and I think about him, and and uh, and mm. thankful that we have three beautiful children. And uh, yes, they all played sports, you know, growing mm. up and all the club teams, whether it was soccer or whether it was baseball or whether it was basketball or track and field. And, um, you know, and they all played through high school uh, and then they've gone on to live their lives, which is great. Um, so I, I'm very proud of them. And uh, uh, certainly they carry on their father's legacy. And uh, Don, Don really yeah. helped me in my life. And uh, certainly I think that I was good for him in a lot of ways too, but uh, you know, I loved him very much. And uh, not just because I, I really didn't know who he was growing up in Los Angeles uh, as kids, we we're always out playing. Right. So uh, games were not on TV. If you remember back in the sixties and seventies, you were lucky to have uh, an NBA game on once oh. game during a Sunday, same thing with a football yeah. game. And uh, certainly baseball was not yeah. really on at all. Uh, it was interesting, though, uh, when we lived in Chicago for a while, when my dad worked for Sears, a lot of uh, a lot of the athletes back in the 50s and 60s worked for different companies in the offseason to get, you know, some kind of income. And so Don Larson worked for Sears. And uh, so he and his wife became very dear friends of my mom and dad's. And I, we didn't know who Don Larson <laughs> was. you know. And uh, so obviously... Yeah, but I didn't follow baseball. My brothers were all big Giants fans. So, you know, Willie Mays and Willie McCovey and Dim Ray Hart, Juan Marichal. And, oh. You know, I didn't know who Don Drysdale and Sandy Koufax and Pee Wee Reese and all those guys were. But uh, certainly after meeting Don, I think that that was probably 
uh, maybe a little bit of an attention for him too, because I didn't know who he was, but uh, certainly he knew I, who I was because I had just signed my contract with the Pacers. <laughs> and uh, so I had received a lot of exposure with the tryout, but I had gone on to play in the WBL and that's what I was doing then. Is that how you met him through your parents or your, how, how did you meet the him? The superstars, the superstars. He oh, Bob, that's right. Which you won Bob, a bunch of times. Yeah. He and Bob Yuka were the announcers and uh, <laughs> Yuki had been on those commercials, right? Right. Just, right. Just uh, a bit outside. And, uh, but um, he was on those beer commercials and plus he was from Milwaukee. So my mom kind of yeah. knew who he was and I knew him from the commercials but I didn't really know who Don was. I mean, I know he'd been on some TV shows yeah. like the Brady Bunch and the Donna Reed and, you know, uh, several other shows, but nobody really, yeah. you know, so. Um, he was yeah. significantly, he robbed the cradle too. He robbed, he robbed the cradle. Let's be honest. Just, what do you, he was, you, he was older than you. Yeah. Just like how much? I can't even remember. Well, you'll, I guess you'll have to look at the years. No, I, one of the most touching things I, you know, I always remember when he passed because not just because it was so sudden, but a friend of mine, he was a sports writer in Sacramento and I worked at the same newspaper at him, Sacramento Union. And his name was Don Drysdale. Oh. Do you know of him or no? No, I don't. Don. No, you don't know. If, okay, so de, they called him Double D because Don Drysdale was one of these guys that the Don I met was he he ate himself out of the press room. He just got humongous. And now I think he's dropped the pounds. But but he um, before the most one of the most touching uh, tributes to your husband, I wish I could find it because the paper folded long ago. He His first line was and you'll love this. He said, um, all you have to know about was Don Drysdale owned the plate and I cleaned it <laughs> uh, and then you know and then he and then he went into his how his namesake the guy that you know that basically had the same name of his gave him this identity crisis but in a great way and he had to explain his own life away every time because Don was so great and uh I don't know I just you know it was really it made me think of that and all those days well, his, parents, and, his parents must have named him that for a reason well I know he was much younger yeah and so I um so it, is do you think because you had such a great marriage in the even the years you did that that was part of the reason why you didn't get remarried? I you know I was busy. I had three young children. Um, the boys oh. were five and three, and our daughter was three months. Um, my broadcasting career was just taking off. Uh, I was trying to figure out how I was going to raise the family and continue to work. Mm -hmm. uh, certainly it just, um, and that's why I, I look back and people ask me, how do you do it? Well, faith, family, and friends, that's for sure. But, uh, my mom's faith has taught mm -hmm. me to, uh, you know, really stay strong because she's lost four children and mm -hmm. she's 95 and to lose one child. Um, but she lost four and mm -hmm. I, I just think, how does she do it every day? Um, certainly losing Don has been devastating for me, but again, whether it's through athletics or the way I was raised, uh, you move forward. Um, I don't think there's anybody that's really captured my attention, uh, you know, like Don did. And, uh, but my focus certainly was on my children and raising them. Uh, now that they're all grown, um, I'm still working, which I love. 
but the opportunity has never really presented itself either mm. for me to uh, get involved with anybody. Mm. That's, I, I don't mean to get so personal, but I, I just remember even when, um, even in the years after he passed, uh, every time I would see you talk about him, it was like, I, it was, it was just a special time. And um, it just, I don't know, it just shows me why family is so important to you beyond the fact that you grew up in a big one that was supportive. Like well, and, and clearly they were around for you when that happened. That's good. Well, they were the, and I will say it's been special too. the Dodgers, you know, Peter O'Malley and, uh, mm. you know, Donnie passed away up in Montreal and uh, the Dodgers took care of everything. And just what last month we lost Tommy Lasorda mm. and uh, Tommy was dear to the children, uh, you know, our, our children, because, uh, Tommy and Donnie were very close. They were, they played ball in Montreal together. And so, you know, Tommy has said, you know, if some people have asked him like for years, yay, you know, who are you going to be excited to see when you go to heaven? And he said, Don Drysdale. And uh, so in saying wow. that, you know, it's just how close they were. And he said, he'd always take care of us. And, and he did till the day he died. I mean, it just, uh, you know, the sort of family has been very dear to us. The Dodgers, uh, is an organization and the O'Malley family. Uh, everybody's really been helpful in getting us through things, uh, whether it's down to Vin Scully and Ross Porter or Jaime Harin, the broadcasters, down to the players, Oral Hershiser and Brett Butler and uh, Eric Karros and so forth. When uh, After Don passed away, the, we'd go to the dugout. We'd go to batting practice and the boys would go out on the field with the players. You know, so, so. What well, I mean, you married into the Dodgers and they became your family as if not not that not just as a uh, optics thing, but they were really they've really been your family. I kind of knew a little bit about that, but that's so much more. Thank you. That's that's it just, you know, all the all the jadedness and all the snarkiness and all the uh, the things in the world now that make us skeptical of as someone told me once if your mother tells you she loves you question that like I, the, 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 that's how that's how skeptical a journalism word we live in now it makes me it it heartens me to know that uh that organizations still see that whatever it is the double bottom line like caring about people giving back that uh, you know the dodgers clearly were that has been that with you guys were, were you at that 98 90 uh, 80, 88 game with don with kirk gibson we had just had uh, my son dj uh we had just left the, the white Sox, and that was don's first year with the back with the dodgers and so we had tickets uh to go um and i ended up staying home uh with the baby and uh, I had family members go. So they were out in right field, as a matter of fact, where those seats were, where he hit the home run. So uh, it was exciting to watch it on TV. Oh, I'd still be upset at my little one. That's, I, <laughs> I would have wanted to go to that game so badly. <laughs> uh, uh, I guess we. I, I should get into your present day. I mean, you, the team you cover, the Phoenix Suns, is breaking through in a big way. I think leadership has been a key with Chris Paul on the court, Monty Williams, who I used to cover with the Knicks on the bench. Monty's one of the most beloved members of the NBA family. What what makes him such a great coach in, in your eyes? Well, first of all, before I get to another family that I feel a part of, the Phoenix Suns of Mercury, I felt that, you know, during that transition with the Dodgers, also NBC really stepped in. Oh. NBC doing five Olympics for them and uh, the first six years of the WNBA. Uh, so the NBC people really became uh, a strong supporter of, of me and the children also. Uh, but that now being in Phoenix, is, uh, I signed with them in 2007 as the 
uh, general manager for the Phoenix Mercury, and we won a couple uh, WNBA titles. And then uh, they asked me to move to be a broadcaster and work in community service and so forth. And and then we won another uh, championship with the WNBA. So the Phoenix Mercury have three. But, uh, you know, I think it's been a tough transition early on. Uh, Monty is finally there. You know, we've had some stability. And Devin Booker has had, you know, six different coaches in six years. Uh, oh, I didn't even think of that. That's 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 almost like we had Jamal Crawford on not too long ago. The same thing where you wonder, you wonder how different a person's career is. Well, I'm just that, glad that he's experienced success now. Finally, he has stability. I think you know he's looking for stability. The organization was, and uh, certainly it was a transition from Jerry Colangelo to uh, Robert Sarver, and uh, you know, and, and Robert made a lot of changes, and so it took a while for it to kind of settle in. And James Jones as a general manager, uh, bringing Monty in. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly has been huge. And like you said, Monty is beloved throughout the, uh, you know, the family of the NBA and the world of basketball. And certainly after he lost his wife and, uh, you know, he's got five children now he's yeah. remarried. Uh, he's got six, six children now too, but, um, you know, I'm so happy for him, but he's one, one yeah. of the most humble and um, just faithful people that wants to do what's best for the others and to make these guys understand the team, certainly having Chris Paul there in the relationship that they had in New Orleans, uh, you know, Chris's first year, Monty's last year, uh, but it developed a relationship and we brought in Jay Crowder and, you know, Frank Kaminsky has been back and that's really helped uh, the bench a lot. Uh, Certainly the young guys are growing, Mikhail uh, Bridges and and, uh, Cam Johnson. Uh, campaign is back healthy. Uh, Sharich is is healthy again. So now we're we're getting a healthy team because Monty has really uh, it's been a chess game for him to try and figure out which most of the NBA teams has uh, yeah. it's been because of the COVID or because of injuries and so forth. So guys sitting out and who are you going to play and who are you going to start and how many minutes you're going to give this person. So uh, but certainly Chris Paul and I, I'd like to give Ricky Rubio some credit too from last year that he really helped, I thought, Devin's game a lot. And now with Chris coming in, there's just this great rapport that these the communication that these two have. And uh, DeAndre Ayton is, is getting a good lesson. And he's just in his third year, and, and he's learning a lot. He still has a ways to go. But uh, when you've got veterans and you've got this, you know, deep down, you see what Chris Paul has. But Devin has had that since day one. And Book has just been... Um, he just keeps going up. And, and what's unfortunate, I will say, Mike, is that he gets so overlooked in the West for the All-Star game. Oh, but his numbers. It's criminal. So it's worse than it's worse than Bradley Beal in the East. I mean, yeah, it, yeah, it's, yeah. It, I really believe you. The, but the, there's it, some great guards in the, in the West. So yeah. like, but in saying that, um, you know, Book is just and that, it drives him, too. Yeah. He's, he's a special player. You got, and I like that. I always forget somebody like Rubio, like a guy who's been in the league for a while now has really never, um, has really never had that moment where people say, Oh, this guy's, this guy's, a, this guy's a great role player. This guy. And, and all of a sudden they're trying to prove something. Um, no, I, I just, I think Ricky Rubio, the first time I saw him play, people don't remember he was 17. He was yeah, 17. that's true. The wizards almost yeah. took him. And, took- uh, and, when he and, when he played for his national team for Spain, I mean, he was phenomenal. Yeah, he's phenomenal. But he's people, you know, it's others' expectations. I, Ricky's had a great career. Why do I think? Why do I think that he hasn't had the greatest career? Just because of the teams well, he's people, been on. People look at X's and O's. They only look yeah. at stats. They don't look at what's going on in somebody's life. 
off the court and the things that are, are happening. Well, you look at, I look at, I look at somebody like Jay Crowder. I would, it, I remember the New York times had a great story on Shane Battier years ago. And they said like, this is a guy plus minus whatever team he's on. He's that intangible. Jay Crowder is one of those players to me. Like he'll, he'll get that loose ball. He'll have that tip at the end of the game that you don't think that it means as much, but that, that was a championship. That was a winning play. And that's, and, and those kind of players, what's that? I too. Rubio is that kind of guy too. Rubio, yeah. And, he, and people forget this is a team sport. Yeah. It's not just one or two guys. I forget that he's only 30 years old still. I mean, shoot. <laughs> he's had a 12, 13 year career. And he's, yeah. I always think, oh, Ruby, Ruby's got to be 35. You're right. He came in at 17. Well, and they keep talking uh, about LeBron, and uh, LeBron's waiting to play with his son. And uh, I don't doubt that it'll happen. He'll he'll play into his 40s. There's no reason he shouldn't, because yes. his, his health has been good. But um, Kobe was 40. Kareem was 40. Um, Robert Parrish was 40. Yeah. Uh, kid out of Atlanta, he was 40 something. So I mean, uh, Vince Carter, you know, 40. So uh, yeah. there are guys that have played into their 40s, and uh, I'm sure it's going to happen with LeBron. Look, Reggie Miller had the greatest quote about him lately in this in this sort of invisible uh, hyperbole argument of or who's the greatest player ever, which it's always, as John Thompson said uh, before he died, whenever you do that, you're, you're almost dismissing um, the other guy if you pick somebody. But he, but he had a great way of saying it. And I, I don't know if you agree with it or not. He said, Michael Jordan, to me, was the player, if I'm a fan, I'm paying money more than anybody to see Michael Jordan. If I'm going to play short shirts and skins in a game, I want LeBron on my team in that empty gym because he is going to win. He's going to either give me the ball. He's going to find a way to win the game for me. And he goes, and, and I thought, you know, whatever that says that, that Jordan looks more graceful when he plays or whatever, or looks more spectacular. LeBron James is winning time, <laughs> no matter what. And I, uh, and I kind of, you know, I, I, well, they both, they're both are competitive monsters. Yeah. No, I, I see where he's coming from, but I don't agree. I, there, to me, there is no greatest of all time. Uh, who's the greatest running back? Who's the greatest quarterback? Who's the greatest pitcher? Who's the greatest hitter? Who's the great, you know, so yeah. now it's a different game. You got a three point show. Who's the greatest three point shooter. Um, so I'm saying that and, and people are dismissing to me, people dismiss Bill Russell. When I listen to these oh. uh, radio guys and TV guys, they dismiss Wilt Chamberlain. They dismiss Oscar Robertson, mm. uh, Walt Frazier, Jerry West. I mean, let's go down the list of guys. Julius, yeah. Johnny Hawkins. I mean, and nobody talks about Kobe. Okay. You can yeah. Where's Kobe? Yeah, Kobe was, I mean, Kobe yeah. was, I look at Kobe as without the Black Kobe. Mamba. Yeah, the Black Mamba. Be, LeBron, I mean, I'm sorry, Michael in, you know, whatever, um, whatever invisible way, he passed the torch to Kobe. Kobe was the Kobe was the baton between Michael and LeBron, really. Well, it took him a while, but then you got Shaq and you got, you know, there's so many other guys. I mean, yeah. Magic Johnson really created things with uh, TV. I mean, it's just a matter of uh, what is going on today. And that's what, yeah. what that's what radio and all this social media that they look at today. They don't know what happened yesterday. Charles Barkley was an unbelievable player. So he didn't win a championship. So neither did Carmelo yeah. or John Stockton, but don't take away what they <laughs> contributed to the game. Yeah. And uh, because you don't want a championship, sometimes the cards are just not there. Steve Nash. Tell me. Yeah. Steve Nash. I mean, come on. Well, they got, um, let's, let's be honest. 
I still think they got robbed out of that San Antonio series. <laughs> that was so awful. They got they got yeah. robbed as much as the uh, Kings got robbed in 2002 with the Lakers right. of going to the finals. There were a couple a couple calls and a couple decisions made that to this day, had they been just a smattering different fork in the roads, the, the Sacramento Kings have a title. The Phoenix Suns become really the first move, pass, and shoot team since, uh, you know, since the Lakers and Celtics, you know, and obviously the, I think the Warriors became that team later, but but they were that team that just made you excited to watch the game because of how Amari Stoudemire and the pick and pop of Nash, and they were just, God, they moved the ball and Boris yeah. Diel. They were so fun to watch. Yeah, they were. Sean Marion. Sean Marion. Oh, Sean Marion. Oh, well, the, ma the Matrix. Oh, yeah. God. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm the, just yeah, and I and I get you too. Like Patrick, having covered Patrick Ewing for years in New York, that was one of Pat Riley's still his greatest regret is he never put the player around him to get him the the ring. But but it's like somebody said to me the other day, you know, this whole ring thing. Like, okay, I love Will Purdue. He's got three rings. Patrick's got none. Who's the better center in NBA history? Steve Kerr. Steve yeah, right. Kerr. Had right. Steve Kerr. Right. Um, yeah. Um, so, but it, it doesn't take like somebody was talking about uh, Nadell, uh, the tennis player. Yeah, Rafael Nadell. Yeah. yeah, it's not based on what he's done on the tennis court. It's based on you know if he never won another championship, he, he has said, hey, if Dokic and and um, uh, uh, what's his name from Sweden, um, who's the guy? Who's the top guy? Roger Federer. Oh, Roger. Federer. Oh, yeah. 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 Jokic, Federer, and Nadal. Right. But if Nadal, he has said, if he never wins another championship, and I, if I don't beat those guys, it doesn't make me any less of a tennis player. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I know what I've achieved. And that's and that's what Coach Wooden and Solvik said. Be more concerned about yourself than others. You mm -hmm. can't go by, you know, others are going to have their perception and, and say things, but that's not who you are. And uh, what you do off the court, because those days are going to end, you know, as an athlete, they do end. And it's only a short period of your life. And then what do you do for the next 40 years? And that's when you make the impact. Coach Wooden should have been my therapist. My therapist always tells me, uh, take your own inventory. Don't take others. Concentrate. Like, that's what Coach Wooden was telling us. Right. And think he probably stole it. For, he probably stole it from Coach Wooden. He's making money off people. Well, we didn't live in a social media time either. You know, today with social media, uh, it just changes the, the the playground a little bit. Yeah. Oh, uh, can you imagine? I mean, oh my gosh, they would they would have wrote who you were dating in college. They would have. The one thing about uh, the LeBron story I'm always amazed by is he lived through an era of social media, yeah. and you know, and and for all the whatever videos and things that people post that are either inaccurate or edited, he lived through the he, the noise never got to him, which is but just incredible. Yeah, but I love that the athletes have taken advantage of it, especially with social and racial injustice and gender injustice. Oh. I mean, a lot of these athletes have now been able to take the platform. And the WNBA, I think, is a big part of that, too, because the women have always spoken out. Uh, but there's so much money to be made today with these athletes that you see that they're becoming owners of different teams and different leagues and so forth. Athletes of yeah. the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s didn't have that kind of money and uh, yeah. to be able to invest. But so now there's a platform. And when you have the support of the people you work for, like the NBA and the WNBA, 
that yeah. supports their athletes to speak out about what is going wrong. I I think I, we've made it a hallmark of this show that that whoever we have on, whether it's uh, Garrett Temple or Roger Mason, people involved in different ways in the movie, like it's and Jeannie Bus came on. It's like the whole notion of I mean, you talk about a a league that gets it and and a community really that gets it is uh, there's. I think there's something to be said for this. I always call it the renaissance of social conscience among athletes. I think it's incredible. I think I, I like I like using your platform for something other than winning and endorsements. And I think that that's what they're doing. Well, it's been going on since the fifties. You know, really well, the, the, there's been a couple you know, drop offs though. Whether you want time. to look at John Carlos and Tommy Smith, sure. Olympics, you know. But I, I guess what I'm getting is there was a time when. Well, and I, they probably got more criticism than they deserve for it. But there was a time when, for instance, a Tiger Woods or Michael Jordan was very, um, they were very accommodating to their endorsers and they didn't want to move and they did not want to. And that, you know, that might've been the era, that might've been the time, but um, I like it that there's, and it's- I it's, think it's the, I think it's the people too. I think it's that individual. Mm, you're right. You're right. That, that says something. Like that, I'd get you in trouble if I went into uh, your your owner's differing thoughts on some of those issues. Uh, but I I think that overall, and the NBA, the WNBA players have been so awesome in their social justice crusades. Just really, I think you know, use their platform for something so much bigger than just basketball. And I, I love that. And it's just not racial injustice, which is absolutely right. there's no question there's systemic racism in this country and in this world but uh, also gender inequity and uh, whether it's equal pay or, or just how women are treated uh in general and we can say that women's sports is all oh, they've taken so many leaps and bounds and and showing women's games on tv and so forth and i don't think espn does as good a job as it could uh mm. i don't think a lot of the networks or, or give the women the they're just due uh, certainly Serena Williams was a big name and uh, mm. with the Australian Open going on. And and uh, it's just the kind of questions that are asked of women uh, rather than uh, that are not asked of men. Oh. And uh, certainly it's, it's uh, I think that women have really because they are mothers uh, and wives and uh, and even if they're single uh, or in a partnership and uh, they are willing to speak out and put themselves on the line, whereas sometimes the guys aren't. You're, no, you're but I, I think Colin Kaepernick opened up the door for a lot of a lot of this to get going too. I, I agree, and I, I the, the one that I always hate, and it's such a what do you call it a um, it's it's almost a sexist remark now. Is I always I, I sometimes hear um, I don't I don't like women's basketball. I don't like I go what no then you don't like basketball. <laughs> like I don't look at yeah. the I didn't never looked at the Washington Mystics. When Elena Deladon and and all her teammates were moving and passing and uh, and and doing, and Christy Tolliver was making big shots. I yeah. never looked at them as women's bat. I looked at his basketball that had basketball that happened to be played by women. <laughs> well, <laughs> and it was and, great and basketball. And you have the title of my book. My book is "You Let Some Girl Beat You." Oh, that's great. So that is still here. Wait, wait, oh, when, when did oh, that book? When did that book come out? Oh, a few years ago. A few years. Oh, uh, we gotta we gotta pump that, Bruce. That's a great. Well, what a great title. But it, it, in essence, oh look at this. 
that guy saying, oh, I don't like women's basketball. And yet coach Wooden said women's basketball is m- more fun to watch because of the fundamentals. And, uh, but you know, whether you're, you're talking about age, so you watch a bunch of seven-year-olds play, whether they're girls or boys go watch them play basketball, or you watch a bunch of guys that are in their sixties in pickup games, you go watch them play, uh, yep. whether men or women or your religion or your race or whatever, you know, it shouldn't matter. The game is the game, just like you talked about. Yeah. Does Diana Taurasi know how good you were? <laughs> I don't I don't think any of these players know who I was. <laughs> and uh, but I, I, Diana does because I grew up in Southern California. She's in Southern California. Yeah, it's true. Uh, certainly with Cheryl Miller, too. And, and uh, but, you know, Diana is is she is one of the greatest because of her work ethic yeah. and uh, her passion and desire for the game and what sets her apart is that she makes others better. And that that's a great player that makes others better. Yeah. And uh, she's willing to sacrifice her game, even though she's just got this, which Kobe has called her the white mamba. Yeah. Um, she is, uh, she goes at you. And uh, she's 39, Sue Bird is 40, and they're continuing to play. Uh, we had a, we had a couple gals in our league early on in the WNBA. Um, Helen Darling, who played at Penn mm-hmm. State, she had triplets and came back and played. Uh, Taj McWilliams Franklin had two daughters, like oh. ten to twelve years apart, and she played till the age of forty-four. Oh. And a lot of these women are playing overseas too, so they're playing almost all twelve months out of the year, not like the guys. Uh, and uh, yeah. and yet they're they're playing into their forties. Uh, I thought I'm glad that they the the salary structure uh, changed and the, the you know I understand that cost overruns and you and everybody's got to be a partner but I just I'd like ba- women's basketball to get to a point where you don't have to go to over, overseas to supplement your income that would be great yeah and, I do uh, too and only play seven months out of the year right right yeah. And, you know, no, no men are, by the way, giving birth uh, d- during and uh, taking it off. You know, no, no men do that. It's like yeah, Lisa well, Leslie, Candace Parker, Cheryl Swoops. Oh, no, it's it's incredible. It's, it's incredible. Does does Brittany Griner, Griner or Skylar Diggins, do, do they come to you for advice at all? No, not really. No. You know what? You know what? That's sad because Walt Frazier told me when Nick's he would say, like, you go, I go, Walt. Did Charlie wear any? Nah, they don't. They don't really know who I am. I go. Someone's got to tell them. <laughs> I don't get that. Uh, and sometimes you, you feel like you're infringing with the coaches. Yeah. Teach, you know. So but just it's, another. It's another set of eyes, and it's a person who knows the game. And sort of like my my whole thing with my son is I was never good enough to play at a Division One school, but I can tell you things that are going to help you. And well, I, you always want to keep learning. I, I know I, I watch as many games as I can to listen to the other announcers. Yeah. And, uh, how they see the game and so forth, just to pick up things. Do you know who says some crazy things? And I know you know too. Eddie Johnson, your bro- one of your broadcast AJ, partners. My bro. He's great. He, I love he's, he, he's hilarious with Justin Termini. He and Kevin Ray do a great job. And then when I come in, you know, poor Kevin's got to adjust to my style, which ah. is completely different than Eddie's. I love Eddie. Eddie could have played till he was 80. He just, he shot so well. And he was like, he was, he was, he was that, care of himself. He was yeah. that Ray, yeah, Ray Allen character in his day where he just, yeah. if you could shoot, you could play for a long time. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, thanks for being so generous with your time. Um, I hope we can have you on again. 
And uh, this is this was just great. Uh, like Thank for me, it was life. for me it was more of a treat just to go through part of your life and career. But but more than that, to hear your thoughts on life and um, uh, I feel like it was Ann Myers Drysdale life lessons. <laughs> well, I, I'm still learning about life. There's no question about that. Yeah. Just got to keep getting better every day. That was dope. <laughs> Thanks to my guest, the great Ann Myers Drysdale. Also, thanks to my producer, Bruce Bernstein, who is now going to read some of these promos. Yeah, Mike, thanks for letting me hog the mic for a minute. Uh, Kristen Woolley is our wonderful editor. We say thank you to her as always. And please check out all of our Pure Hoops media shows. Full Court with Jenny Fisher and Kara Kay has the best in College Hoop each Tuesday. Catch and Shoot 2.0 with Otto Strong and Aaron Berlin is here every Wednesday. And last week, they welcomed Tom Haberstroh of True Hoop, and they did a great Utah Jazz breakdown, among other topics. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with Monica McNutt and King McClure drops each Thursday. And this past week, they discussed Draymond Green's Recent comments about NBA double standards between management and labor with our own Dave Wall, host of Dave's Front Office here at Pure Hoops Media. BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman have the Pure Hoops podcast each Friday. And of course, we have a new Mike Wise show every Monday. We also have a YouTube channel with a ton of great segments you can check out, including Mike's very unplugged conversation with Lakers Governor Jeannie Buss. Go to YouTube and search for Pure Hoops Media. Mike? I do that so much better, Bruce. No, I'm kidding. That was awesome. <laughs> All right. Hopefully the year 2021 is when we snuff this pandemic out as quickly as possible. When you qualify for the vaccination, please do the right thing. Get it. But until that day arrives, keep your guard up. Wear the mask in public to protect yourselves and others. Wash your hands. Keep your distance. Be considerate of others. And keep all the medical professionals in your prayers. Till next time. Peace. The Mike Wise Show used to be called The Wise Ass Show, but it remains a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on the driver who treats the highway like a racetrack and the shoulder like a passing lane. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.